Number one, Don, is I'm glad I gave you goosebumps. That's all I wanted to achieve today. <laughs> I mean, that's good. Now, that's all I'm about is giving Don Sill goosebumps. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Top Fives with Don Sill. I'm your host, Don Sill, and we got another great top five in store for you today. It's the top five women who paved the way for stand-up comedy. Women you should know about. Women you might never have heard of. Hilarious women. Women pioneering in stand-up comedy. Joining me today is the very hilarious Maureen Langan. I was hanging with Langan. And I was told that if I worked hard, got educated, and did the right thing, that life would reward me. What a load of crap that is. Don't forget to subscribe, like, follow, share it, all that good stuff, and leave comments below. We want to know what your top five is, too. Without further ado, let's get into this. Me and Maureen Langan with the top five women comedians who paved the way. Women you should know about. All right, Maureen Langan, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to do this. How's everything going? Well, it's a lot on me. I mean, this is a lot. I, I hardly even know you when I'm doing this. How are you? <laughs> I know. I appreciate that. I appreciate. I only, I only know you through through your show hanging with Langan and, and your stand-up that I've seen on, on uh, YouTube, and I urge everybody to check all that stuff out. Well, thanks. You know, I, I love Long Island, and you're a Long Island guy, and uh, that's my favorite place to perform is Long Island, because it's all Irish, Italian, Jews. They get it. They come usually from a working-class family. They're the first to go to college. They know what it's like to, you know, we're like-minded. Exactly. It's good people, and they get jokes, and they're not easily offended. And I find that sometimes in the cities, uh, oh. People people seem to get offended easier than they do kind of in these in you know your regular mom and pop neighborhoods you know. Well, I just love Long Island, and there's a lot of cool comics out there. And, and John LaRocchia is so good to so many comics, and he gets every he does so much for the 9/11 firefighters and first responders who have survived that and have health issues. So I do a lot of shows with him, and I work Governor's Brokerage, all of them. So they're great. awesome. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, and John's a great guy too, and everything he does is great as well. Right. <laughs> um, but what we're doing here is the the top five women you should know who paved the way for stand-up comedy. Um, you know, throughout history, especially comedy history, uh, it seemed like women have always gotten a, a tougher time to uh, get on the stand-up stage and, and be funny and, and be taken seriously. Um, what's your thoughts on that and throughout history with some of these uh yeah. Well, back in 1812, there was a very funny woman on the prairie. Um, it's so weird, you know, like when you're a woman, like it's so weird to have to even think that way because you know who you are and you just do your thing and you don't realize until, you know, you see all late night shows are all male dominated. You look at the writing staff, it's all male dominated. So, you know, I don't know why it's such a challenge or, you know, you hear the stereotypes. I, I get sick of all of that. But what I do like is when I look back in history, is to see so many women that you're like, oh, that's interesting. So when you said to me, let's talk about the history of women and comedians or five, 10, uh, top, you know, what's a five, top five topic more that you're interested in? And I said, women that you should know, women you may not know. And we're not talking, uh, we'll get to honorable mentions. You know, we'll talk about the Carol Burnett's and Gilda Radner's, but I'm going way back. I, I'm talking about my five, I would imagine many people may not know. You may be familiar with Moms Mabley. Moms Mabley, uh, a black woman, one of like 16 kids born on a North North Carolina. Is that where you're from? Isn't that your neck of the woods? It's where I've lived there for, yeah, tw I was there for 12 years of my life, yeah. I love okay. North Carolina, yeah. Well, that's where Moms was from. A black woman who played like, you know, you, you hear the Chitlin circuit. What is that really? That's black vaudeville. That's just black vaudeville. And she would dress up, you know, like kind of wacky. And sometimes, you know, for women to get the laughs or they create a persona, they become that image of something that will free them because it's not me saying it, it's the character saying it. Mom don't know no jokes, but I can tell you some facts. So she uh, addressed racism. Uh, she talked about sex, poverty, a lot of taboo things. Supposedly, I don't know, uh, the rumor was she was a lesbian. Now, I don't know how out and about one could be if that in fact was the case. So she played with the dirty old woman, but with some 
you know, gravitas, things to share. It's a wicked I get a gang of colored men right away, a whole crowd of colored men. I see 125th Street and 7th Avenue. <laughs> Any anything you want on 125th Street and 7th Avenue. And a whole lot of things you don't want. But this is the thing, Don. She was born in 1894. So, wow. oh, yeah, it sounds like, what, is she on a covered wagon? No. She lived to 1975. She was on, she oh, the Apollo Theater? And yeah. now these are, this is like... She's one of the first on the Apollo Theater, I think, right? One of the first women comedians. Well, I imagine since it was 1894, I don't know when the Apollo opened, but I would think perhaps, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. The journalist me does all this research, so but people should check for themselves. I'm not Tucker Carlson. These are just, I'm saying whatever I want. It's up to you to decide. Right, right. <laughs> There's no such thing as Mom's Mabley. It was Dad Babley, but I just changed it. Anyway. So what I think is really cool is they said that she appeared, I, I want to look at more than any other performer in history at the Apollo. Now, is that true? Uh, Langan would have to verify that. You know, I don't, Wikipedia, you guys, you always have to triple check Wikipedia because it's not a journalistic source, just telling you. Right. Um, but supposedly, Don, she was making like 10 grand a week. I mean, that's insane. I've wow. made like, what are we doing, getting 15 bucks a spot in New York now after the pandemic? Yeah. At the clubs? I mean, I'm and not for that time, too. Yeah. I mean, she was, I guess, in pretty high demand, um, you know, when she started really rolling, when she was on like the smothers brothers and started getting tv spots i'd like to tell you moms it's just great having you on our show tonight honey and it's great being on your show <laughs> oh yes i enjoy listening to you and your dumb brother <laughs> Well, look at you. You're just Googling it right now. I know you are. I no. Know. So you just did a Google search. No, I, I had no idea who she was till I got I on. know Miles. I love Miles Mabel. I believe she probably played her entire career as a, that old lady kind of character. And and what I, I do like about Moms is, is um, that she always had those kind of sexual undertones to all her jokes, too. <laughs> So I think in, in that regard too, she was also, you know, ahead of her time where where she was making men's the sexual objects and kind of turning the tables in, in that regard. But always in that character of an older woman who where we had a, a little sense of um innocence to it, you know? Uh, yeah, very, yeah. The right. older lady, like, oh. Yeah. I wonder if um, if there are pictures, I, I have to search this, of her without being dressed as Mom Smithley. I'd like to know what she really looked like or, you know. Yeah, I, me too. I, I, there may be one or two uh, on around without her in her in the mom's with the hat and, and the kind yeah. of that old lady house dress that she wore. And the thing with me when, when it comes to moms that I, that, that I think is, is kind of uh, cool but different is that she was able to play that same old lady character from the beginning of her career until she finally grew into it and was actually an old lady. And was that person. Yeah, <laughs> it became that person towards the end. And um, yeah, she was big in the civil rights era too, you know, and that was what with the Smothers Brothers and stuff like that. I think she had either sang a song or she had a poem about equality and about civil rights and stuff like that. And it's real powerful. I got to find that and I'll put that into this piece as well. But it seems a good die I just looked around and he was gone. We talk about her being born in 1894, but like you mentioned the Smothers Brothers, such political comedians and, but yeah, she's on that. She was on um, Flip Wilson. Yeah. Flip Wilson, and uh, I don't know, people don't know Flip Wilson. This is what pains me. The older we get or the further along we go, the more in the past these people are. So they're not on people's... I mean, I've talked to people, comics in their 20s, I swear to you, 
They do not know who Gilda Radner is. Wow. I'm speaking to you live from the Two Mile Island nuclear reactor site where rumors are running rampant that the president has been exposed to lethal levels of radiation. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, I think that when, when you're in kind of a, a, uh, a, you know, a certain field, mm. you, you, especially in, in entertainment, you need to know the, the history to some regard, I, you know, whether you go as deep as the moms may believe, but you should know who the forefathers were that, that led the way. Like, you know, if you don't know- Four mothers, four mothers, very good. Four mothers, you sexist, <laughs> disgusting pig. Um, Misogynist. The four people, yeah. Vagina yeah. hater. Okay. Um, <laughs> so you should, but 1980 is when Gilda was on freaking Saturday Night Live, right? Or 70s, 80s. I mean, I know her inside all her bits. Yeah. Um, but you think about like Flip Wilson, Geraldine Jones, and the church of what's happening now. I was chatting with Rev after the service, Rev Leroy. See, I belong to a church called the church of what's happening now. <laughs> And of course, Ed Sullivan. My father used to make me watch reruns of Ed Sullivan all the time. So yeah. you see all these people, you know? That's what I think was great about uh, our generation in a, in a sense is that we didn't have, you know, cable yet, really. There was definitely no internet. So you only had three major channels and then reruns all the time. So we were forced to watch all the old shows. But at least we know those shows. And we kind of knew, like, you know, like, uh, Believe It to Beavers or The My Three Sons or I Love Lucy's. We watched them all. Boy, Beaver, wait till the guys find out you're hanging around with a girl. Boy, they'll really give you the business. But gee, Wally, you hang around with girls. And the guys don't give you the business. But yeah, you're right. And. I don't know. There's a lot of fun stuff or like, well, we'll get to, there's other things I'll share with you, but I was, So you is know, mom's your, your number five pick is mom's? She, well, she, no, I'm not going in any particular order. These are just five women I think people should know in no right. particular order. Right. So what these women, there's women like Pearl uh, Williams and Belle Barth. They did what was called party albums. What they were were what your parents or grandparents would listen to that were dirty. Yeah. And they were haughty and really, really raunchy. I mean, <laughs> deliciously so. I mean, come on, like that Mae West type, you know, honey. I know a few Irish girls that don't go for Italian sausage. They go for kosher beef. One was born 1911, the other born 1914. Again, sounds like so long ago, but they were hot in the 1950s, 60s even. So Belle Barth, again, irreverent humor, and they were signed to, um, this guy would sign these women to these record deals. They got record deals and they had these albums. I was built like you when I was six years old. Isn't she pretty? My nipples are bigger than your tits. So I want to tell you a little bit about uh, Belle Barth. 1950s, 60s, foul mouth. She was the ninth, all these had big families. She was like the ninth uh, child of a like a Manhattan merchant. So you can picture, I'm picturing this Lower East Side Jewish guy, a merchant. <laughs> uh, and she did the Borscht Belt, you know, the Jewish hotels and clubs and like that. But this is what I like. This is very Carlin-esque uh, or uh, Lenny uh, Bruce-ish. Bruce she was arrested and fined 25 bucks. She got a 25 buck fine uh, for her act. And now this is, a, this you have to source. I don't know the source of this, but supposedly two school teachers filed a lawsuit against her because they said, this is insane, they said that her act had corrupted them morally and harmed their health. It's good. Teeth are not yours. <laughs> you don't need teeth for what I got to eat, sweetie. <laughs> This is, this is, I don't know, I don't know if this is legend, but I mean, if they corrupted you morally, if you're going out there and you're giving oral love to some guy because you listen to her album, she could have inspired you. you know? right, exactly. Right. Maybe she inspired you. And if you're out doing that and you became morally corrupt, you are morally corrupt. <laughs> Ain't nothing making you morally corrupt. I say don't knock it if you never tried it. And uh, I don't knock anybody. An obstitute is a prostitute that's destitute in an institute. So she did the, um, there's After Hours. That was what it was called, the After Hours records that she got picked up on. Wow. So, you know, the I would love to, After Hours. Yeah, I would love to hear like some of her, her stuff. Like, 
Like how how raunchy did she get? Was she like was oh. it be raunchy to today's standards too? Yeah. Yes, 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 deliciously. I mean, yes. I'm gonna line a hundred men up against the wall. I bet a hundred dollars I can bang them all. I banged about 98. I thought my back would break. <laughs> it was like a kind of May West. I'm fuck you, fella. You know, like really, uh, you know. And right, right. her albums. Okay, here, how about this? Here was the name of one of her albums, or one of her, I don't know, it was her album or a song, I'm song, or a bit. Uh, I think it was the name of her album. A trip around the world is not a cruise. <laughs> All right? So, <laughs> yeah. I that's cool. I, I never uh, heard of, of Belle Barth before, so this is really, really cool stuff. I've actually just pulled up her album now. I'm looking at um, who she is. She does kind of look, look kind of like um, Mae Westy type of vibe with the hair and the, and the, and the right. outfit and everything that's and right. that kind of attitude. Yes. Wow. Right? Yeah, that's pretty cool. And there was another one similar to her. Bring up her picture because I can't remember what she looks like. Pearl Williams. The body humor, the party records. They were called like party records. Yeah, like the, you know? what Red Fox was doing, like that kind of uh, those at that era. That's but, right. You, right. 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 Cool. Right. Uh, oh, forgive me. Uh, Pearl uh, Williams did a trip around the world is not a cruise. Uh, Belle Barth, forgive me. Her single was "If I Embarrass You, Tell Your Friends." <laughs> that was one. I flipped them. They, they two of them confused me because I find them similar. Um, her 19 sing single, 1960 single, If I Embarrass You, Tell Your Friends, it was the number one record uh, in Quebec, Canada, where those people are much more progressive than me. Are you having a good time, sir? It's personally, I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> so were both of them Canadian? Uh, Canadian? No, they're American. Oh, they're, they're, American, they're American Jews. What are you talking about? Oh, the Canadians no. <laughs> like the American Jews. What's wrong with you? And, and these are who, like, uh, with Corey Kahaney and her, they're going to be doing some uh, Pearl Williams and, and uh, Bell Barth uh, material? Well, I'm trying to talk, Corey. What, what Corey did with her Japs show, Jewish American Princesses of Comedy, what she did with that show is take the comics and they would do kind of some schmaltzy bits and then pay homage and talk about these women and you would see their clips and you would hear their fun stories and you might uh, do a joke of theirs, uh, but you it, you wove it in with your own comedy too. So she, I think it's fantastic. And I emailed her this morning. I said, why isn't this back on stage post pandemic? Theaters all around the country and Canada, the open-minded Canadians, it should be there. It is so friggin' fantastic. And right now it's so timely given the Mrs. Maisel, which I yeah. want to in a moment too. Yes. It's fantastic. Yes, um, I think this is great what, what Corey's doing. And I also think this is great that, that talking to you, I'm discovering right? also some, some new new uh, right. women out there. Definition of indecent. If it's long enough, hard enough, and in far enough, it's indecent. <laughs> Definition of a destitute prostitute from Georgia, a poor hoa. <laughs> Definition of a cotton picker, a girl who loses a string on her tan bags. Uh, one of one of my picks. Um, oh, I have to ask you, what are your picks? Sorry, I didn't even. No, ask we, you. we just go back and yeah, we oh, just go back knew? and forth. Yeah, that no, that. <laughs> I didn't know the format. Go ahead. No, that's cool. Yeah, we're doing great. I'm loving this. Um, my my first one is uh, Jean Carroll. So oh, that was going to be my next one. All right, go ahead. <laughs> well, that's cool if we we agree, because I because I, you mentioned the marvelous Miss Maisel, and and I know a lot of people assume Mrs. that Mrs. Mrs. Sorry, <laughs> marvelous Mrs. Maisel. A, a lot of uh, people s seem to assume that's Joan Rivers or that's a combination of people, but I tell you, looking at Jean Carroll's material and, and her style and her swagger on stage and her material and just her cadence, it it seems to be a lot more Jean Carroll-esque than it does Joan River-esque. I, I want to know what size it is. She said, it's your size, take it, it was made for you. <laughs> I didn't even know I was gonna be in that neighborhood. She made a dress for me. <laughs> I just want you to know how much I admire you guys. I could never be brave enough to wear the same outfit every day. So I did want to know what you thought about uh, that as well when it comes to Jean Carroll, is Jean Carroll 
this thing. Right. Don, so what I'll say to you, uh, Maureen Langan here, my assessment. First of all, I would not use the word swagger for Jean Carroll. I would use classy, yeah, um, refined, dignified, beautiful, attractive woman. Not like, she's definitely sexy, but she was class act. Right. This is somebody that you expected to be at a fine restaurant in Manhattan, but she had that really quick quirky thing, you know? Very Mrs. Maisel, hey, I'm here. I got a husband, handsome, you'd never call him. But this guy, no, please don't laugh because he's the most wonderful man. He's always full of fun. He's always making jokes. He's laughing. Nothing bothers him. He drinks. That type of Upper West Side, dress classy, not as like much as Mrs. Maisel, but that type. Jean Carroll, I want people to know you have to check her out because that is a different type. She's not body. She's very intelligent. Um, just I saw her and I made a note to that, that I think she's very much in line with the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I wrote uh, that right there. Very cool. That's why New York's so great though. Everyone you care about can despise you and you can still find a bagel so good nothing else matters. <laughs> Who needs love when you got blocks? They both stink but only one tastes good. <laughs> yeah, because she she definitely, like you said, she was she was pretty and uh, ladylike and... Um, Lady. Yes, and... and um, you know, where I don't know if they, I think they were around the same time with Phyllis Diller. Everybody in America is coming this way except me and one other woman. <laughs> kind of, and she's on my list too. We'll get to her. But, uh, but, but she, um, but to, to me, Phyllis, they're like almost like opposites in, in a sense. Um, mm -hmm. And, and that's what I think with Phyllis Diller, I think she thought the only, maybe perhaps the only way. She, she could win over a crowd is to act silly and zany and have the hair and, and the and the whole thing. Where with Gene Carroll, you're getting straight material. Um, straight, quick, rapid fire material. Yep. And very uh, quick, rapid fire. He took me out. He took me to a nightclub. What a slanky, what a band. Three pieces, piano, stool, and play up. And they. Mambo fanatics, but this guy, Mambo, Mambo, my every dance, everybody got off the floor to watch because the band was playing a waltz. But anyway, I want to finish up a few things about Jean Carroll. She was born in 1911. These women, 1911, oh, 1914, yeah. Phyllis Diller, 1917. Jean Carroll was one of the first women to have a sitcom. It didn't last long, like short, like three months, but uh, she was on Ed Sullivan more than 20 times in the Jean Carroll show, also known as Take It From Me, because she does in her act, Take It From Me. Right, right. Uh, so that was pretty damn groundbreaking to have a sitcom. And I, I want people to check her out because I wonder if they would agree with us that, and I'm sure they would, that very Mrs. Maisel and Jean Carroll-ish together. I dig her. Very yeah. different. I, I dig her too. I re remember seeing a lot of her, her stuff when I was a kid, you know, or watching reruns oh, yeah? of Ed Sullivan. Yeah, I used to watch like Ed Sullivan a lot and I was, I was a you know, comedy nerd. So I used to watch yeah, all that stuff. Cool. I always liked her, but then knowing that I was doing this, Rewatching a lot of her her stuff on YouTube um, was really great, and, and you still see the timing is there, the writing is there. Like like people say to me, gee whiz, what'd you see in him? Why'd you marry him? Well, he's like a child, and you know all women love children, even if they're 35. But he's just like he is. He's like a baby. Every day it's something. Like this morning, he woke with a headache, and it's his own fault. I keep telling him when he jumps out of bed, it should be feet first. You know? <laughs> then you can almost see how she how she paved the way for like Joan Rivers, because it, it looks like, you know, again, I don't want to get ahead of myself because all these women are on the list too. We'll get into them all, but look, but Joan looks like she took some Jean, Jean Carroll, she Carol took some Phyllis. Yeah, she, and, and a little bit of Phyllis Diller here and a little bit of Moms Mabley here. And, you know, she she's like a, a, a definitely an evolution of all of the ones that came before her, you know? And then I got the leggings and you get one legging and the other legging and you go zip. Zip, and then the suspenders. Oh, we were stunners, right? And you get one suspender click, and the other suspender click, and this one would go up in your face. That's when a fat kid learns to swear. What I like so much about Jean Carroll is 
she was not self-deprecating really. She was very like oh, eye rolling. Okay, well, you know, like, oh, please. Like, I can't right. even, not Joan Rivers would be like, oh, please. She was more like, okay. So my husband said, okay. Like she just has right. a very sarcastic, but likable tone and she's in charge and she's got this. But you know, too, it's like, even when we go back to Pearl Williams, the body gal, one of the bodies, one of the, you know, party albums, she said, you know, I can just picture her saying this. I get broads, they come in here all the time. They sit in front of me and they stare at me. Everything I do, they stare. Then they walk out saying, she's so dirty. And if they're so refined, how can they understand what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Jean Carroll would be refined. I think she's refined. Definitely, definitely. And that's also what works for her and and that whole style. Is is that you're not expecting sometimes the punchlines to come out the way they do. You know, you don't mind a fella with the ask you to have a date or to have dinner, but he was such a sneak. He asked me to come to his room to look at an old chest. It was his. Well, the the writing is is, is just on point. And, and, she did uh, talk about her wedding night, but it's just it's fun. It's not you know raunchy or anything. Right. <laughs> Moot, he's such a smart fella, and he's my first boyfriend. Oh, I was crazy about Moot. I went with Moot for um. What did I go with him for? I don't remember now, but I, I really liked him. I liked him, but our romance was one of those triangles. You see, he and I were both in love with him. Well, anyhow. So who's who's your your next one? Now, again, I picked some that people won't know. And again, I learned some of these from Corey Show, you know, the Jewish American Princesses of Comedy. Betty Walker. Do you know Betty Walker? But she would do these telephone acts. Seal, seal, seal. Her friend, her the neighbor or friend you never see, it's on the phone. Mrs. Bikowitz, Mrs. Bikowitz. Yeah, what is it, Mrs. Goldstein? Did you see what happened with Israel and Egypt? How could I? I can't see anything. I live in the back. <laughs> right. but she'd have like a phone conversation with her daughter. It's so funny. I pick up to eat. What do you want to eat? Oh, you're stuck in Long Island. So you know what I'll do? I'll take the subway to the LIR and then I will get out and I will just take the bus. And when the bus stops, I'll just walk the 14 blocks. No problem. Then I'll feed the kid. Why? Why? Yeah, my daughter, why would I do that? And how's Steve? Who's Steve? Your husband, see? Oh, no, it's Paul. Wrong number. My husband's name is Paul. Is this this is Tremont 7, 1177. Does that mean you're not coming? You know, like, it's just, <laughs> it's very like the stereotypical Jewish mother of the time. What? What's the problem? So I'll slap. So 10 hours, it'll take me to go 10 miles to Long Oh, what? Yeah, my daughter. So that's kind of stuff. Very, very Is, uh, was she from Long Island? Do you know? Yeah, I think it was New York. You know, there are a lot of them. There. Definitely, definitely New Yorker. Yeah, that's great. And, and um, yeah, it, it was most of her stuff on the phone too. Was she like what, like a Love phone, phone like a, like a Shelley Berman? Yeah, yeah, like a. Yes, 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 yes. The, the phone lady. I know what you got. What you got. I, know, <laughs> I know we have a lot, probably a lot of similar picks here, but I have uh, ones too. You but you to have you have good ones like that that uh, I'm learning, and this is great. I lo- that's why I love that. That's why I'm I'm so glad you're doing this with me. Um, my number four pick was uh, Phyllis Diller. She was hailed back then as the queen of comedy. I think she still kind of could hold that that crown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just as soon as she would enter the stage, she's already got your attention just by her appearance with the, the long cigarette, the, the gown on. She would have like the, you know, what, what are those things? The like fuck? a boa thing. A boa. And then she would have the hair and, and her laugh. So even before she starts telling jokes, you're already intrigued and and enjoying yourself i'll tell you i'm looking so bad if the bags under my eyes get much bigger i'll have a use for my old bras 
her style, she was very self, you know, um, deprecating, deprecating totally. to herself, and and um, you know whether she's making fun of herself or Fang, who was like her husband, or and um, but she also had the one-liners that were similar in her delivery to Bob Hope, who I know was a great mentor of hers. But but the delivery style, boom, boom, one after the other, her one-liners, and they all, each one kills. If a thing of beauty is a joy forever, I'd say I've got about eight minutes. <laughs> and you get dry and brittle when you get old. My skin is so dry, I've been declared a fire hazard. <laughs> the ironing alone, I'm so far behind, 18 years. <laughs> uh, and, you know, like I said, I was watching some of those earlier, and they're still funny, That and um, to me, a lot of her stuff still holds up. But there's one man in this world who's absolutely crazy about my legs, Colonel Sanders. What I love, this has always been the, you know, when I, when I was studying English in college or when I was a journalist, I'm so fascinated and interested by the person behind the story. Like if it's an author or James Baldwin, I want to know what was his life like before I read his stuff or Ernest Hemingway, like I want to know. So for Phyllis Diller, since I was a kid, her, she and Carol Burnett as well, I'm fascinated by their lives because Phyllis Diller, I think she had five children at the time. She didn't get on stage till her late 30s. She was working in advertising and she was in it. Her husband was an alcoholic, a total underachiever. And this woman is hitting the stage. She had a lot of pain and a lot of stuff to deal with. And I applaud. I love that tenacity and that I'm going to take my own life and I'm just going to move forward. That to me is what really, when you learn the trajectory of people behind what they've accomplished that make that just touches my heart i'm being like i know but it's just like no oh, that oh. is great and i actually got the goosebumps when you started mentioning all that stuff and i'm glad you did because sometimes even i you know i like i read um, her biographies before so i, I knew th those stories but i didn't think to, to mention those and i'm glad you did because that is so important of how she got there that she did start later in life uh, middle-aged with a bunch of kids bad marriage and she overcame that through comedy now, fellas, what do you do to break up the monotony of housekeeping and taking care of five small gorillas? <laughs> well, uh, I'm really not a housewife anymore. You got five kids and you're not a housewife? I beat the rap. <laughs> you mean your kids came through with push-button controls? <laughs> How is it you're able to get away from housewifing? I'm an entertainer. And a couple things I want to say. Number one, Don, is I'm glad I gave you goosebumps. That's all I wanted to achieve today. <laughs> I'm being... <laughs> That's good. Now, that's all I'm about is giving Don Sill goosebumps. It's so funny because we're being so serious because as co a comic, I don't want to always be on, even though that's natural to be on sometimes. Right, right yeah. Have a real conversation, uh, even though naturally funny. So um, <laughs> the, the first time I ever went to San Francisco was in 2009. I had never been to San Francisco. And, uh, or maybe I went through it once in my early 20s. But anyway, never spent any time there, really. Uh, part of the reason I went out, I was invited to do the San Francisco comedy competition. I'm like, I don't like competitions because it's we're performers. Who are you competing with? You're actually competing with everybody. But um, <laughs> I just don't dig it. But part of the reason I went out is I wanted to perform at the Purple Onion because that's where Phyllis Diller began. Yeah. And that was where I performed. And then my life changed because I met a great guy, you know, and years later we got together. So it was life changing. So Phyllis Diller really um, made my life happier ultimately. And I'm also so happy to be here to get away from my mother-in-law. You know, Fang's mother, Moby Dick. Ugh, <laughs> is she fat? She's so fat when she cries, her tears run up. So it was just interesting to be in this intimate club, reminding me of the cellar in um, Lower Manhattan, even before it really expanded. And just to know that that's where she got up and got on stage was you know, pretty freaking amazing to me. I would love to go there and just for the same reason. And that's why I think a, a lot of these buildings should never be torn down for the reasons like that, because you want to go there and, and, and smell it and see it and and look at where the stage was. And, you know, um, it could be, it's, it's important to, to know that greatness existed there or began there and, you know, to be able to touch it and feel it. So I think that's awesome. So. There's also another old timer, Toady Field. Are you familiar with Toady Field? I heard of Toady Fields. Toady lost a leg. She lost a leg. She was. She lost a leg. She was very another one. Very in your face. 
Well, I am perfect. See, you're not perfect. Look at her smiling at me. I know you're not perfect. I'm coming out to show you. So, is she perfect? No, you bleach your hair, don't you? <laughs> Broad when I see one, don't think Fields was a little rounder. She had like a pile wig on her head and she'd go into the audience very quick and wise ass and cat skilly. So I knew Toadie very well, you know, watching her growing up. So I put on my little stretch pants, my high white boots, and I must have looked adorable because everyone in the store was looking at me, you know? <laughs> but she was like, you know, <laughs> a not vavoom, but vavoom. And when you think of somebody like like, like Toadie Fields, um, like sometimes I look at comedy as like a like a like a tree, like a family tree, with branches out into different genres and inspire different people and begets certain people. Where do you see the Toadie Field line lead to if you had to connect her to somebody today? I'm like in a riddle. You just put me in a riddle. <laughs> Oh, like who would she be equivalent to today? Yeah, like when you say without without Toady Fields, you would never have Amy Schumer or something like that. Oh, no, I think of this gal in New York who I started with, Jody Wasserman. She reminds me of like the kind of body going right after you, you know. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was gang raped by a dozen donuts. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's kind of hard, isn't it, to know? I don't know who I would see today on stage that would remind me of her. Um, I don't know. I think, you know, growing up watching Gilda Radner, I was so inspired by her and Roseanne, Rosanna Dana, and Carol Burnett so much. But am I like either of them? No. But, right, right. But just to know they're doing it, how exciting it was. And I got to tell you, I would, I had a radio show for many years you know, that you get paid to do, not not this. And, uh, <laughs> and like, I would say most nights, hi, Carol, it's Maureen. If you'd like to come on my show, I'm here for you. Carol Burnett, it's me, it's Maureen. It's okay you haven't returned my calls. I tried desperately to get her <laughs> on the show. I did, I would be beside myself to meet her uh, because, now was she a straight stand-up? No, but man, she was a comedian. <laughs> Oh, definitely. I agree. I don't know. I just feel like she's in that category beyond like Lucy to me isn't. I finished at Miss Sniffing School, a model debutante. I know each fork and spoon and rule. I don't say can't, but can't. Just me. Maybe because Carol did more sketch where Lucy, you know, she did physical comedy and stuff, but it was more sitcom where with Carol Burnett, she did a variety of different characters. And, and you know, it was in front of, you know, a live audience she took questions at the end, all that kind of stuff. So maybe she definitely feels more to me like a stand up also. <laughs> Who did I inherit my gorgeous legs from? Why, you, how old are you? Fourteen. You little devil. <laughs> Have you ever thought in terms of an older woman? I love her. Carol, it's me. It's Maureen. If you're watching Don Sills podcast, Please reach out. I have a now. I have a podcast. I um, it's hanging with Lang, and, and I will welcome you anytime. And I will rearrange my schedule for you, Carol. Mm -hmm. Carol Burnett grew up two alcoholic parents. Pretty much, she didn't grow up with them because they were a mess. So she lived with her grandmother. She moved from the South Texas somewhere, got herself to LA with her grandma. Lived in basically. Uh, rooming houses, welfare type of homes, and their big outing would be going to the movies and watching a doubleheader, so to speak, a uh, double feature. I like baseball, doubleheader. Right. Double feature <laughs> and go watch it and just be transported. And I don't know who did this, she's never outed it, but somebody gave her the money to go to New York. Uh, somebody who had some money, he saw her talent. This makes me cry. And she went to New York. She has never revealed his name. And he had said, you cannot reveal my name. I asked that of you until my passing. He's dead. He's in the ground, I guess, or in an urn. And she still has not revealed it. And I just want to know so much. 
Then she comes to New York, she's taking her acting classes and just like so many performers, we put on a show, comedy showcase. She puts on a performance showcase and gets discovered. And, oh, I never had been one to swoon over man, but I swooned and the drum started pounding and then I made a fool of myself over John Once she starts getting a bit of heat, they want to give her a show called What's Agnes? Who's Agnes? They didn't want her to do a variety show because they said it's a man's world. And they talked about the different fellas doing uh, variety shows back at the time. And they didn't want her to do it. And I'm so, this, her show will go down in history of one of the all time best variety shows ever ex that has existed. A bottle of wine. A jug of wine. Jugs are nice too. <laughs> I Ever. agree. I agree. It was like if you look at it, um, you know, back then, who do you have? Sid Caesar. Harvey Foreman. Yeah, oh, Har oh, the other ones. Oh, 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 oh yeah, yeah. Her her core cast was great. Tim Conway, Harvey Corman, um, Mama. What, what's her name again? Mama. Um, that was Vicky Lawrence. Vicky Mama. Lawrence. Quite the problem, Eunice. Is it your time a month or something? You ride the <laughs> Yes, that was a, that was a great cast. Oh, uh, to watch. Tim Conway get Harvey Corman. Is it Corman or Corman? I was Corman to crack up. It just <laughs> and Mrs. Wiggins, the yes, best. It was the best, and I always love when they will break characters and start laughing. That was like you you want that to happen, is you know I know it's frowned upon with like SNL or whatever when if they break character and start laughing. But I used to love it when Carol Burnett, when like you said, when when uh, Tim Conway would make Harvey uh, Corman laugh. That and you would great. see Carol put her head like like her hand <laughs> over her eyes. <laughs> yeah. yes. And that was her way. Like especially a mama. Yeah. When Peggy Lars be like, I don't know, whatever. What's wrong with you? And she'd be like, she just would keep her. And you knew she was trying not to crack up. that's uh, good stuff. That was a great show. Yes, I agree. Uh Carol Burnett belongs on the list for sure. women's funny i don't get into all that because it's bullshit it's right just, it's it seems bad. to be like like a like a, a, a weird um line to walk down when you talk about um that because some women don't even want to be called onto the stage as hey and this next woman comedy you know and i don't and i'm agree with that i don't think that's a good thing but also if we have something like like this kind of a list where we're honoring Women. Oh, well, I'm with you. Because oh, yeah. this isn't about our women are funny. This is about, let's talk right, about right. some great yeah. women who right. existed. That's why, yeah, no, I, I want to do, this is history. We're talking about history right. from a female comedian. But I tell you, one time I went up, where was this, at the comic strip? And he was a young comic, so I, I'm not mean at all. So he goes, oh, we have a real treat now. We're going to um, change things up now. We have a female comic coming. I mean, literally, it wasn't just like we have a female. We're gonna change things up. So what, now we're not gonna be funny anymore? What are we doing? What's changing? What the frig is happening? Um, so he does that. We're, we are gonna change things up now. We have a female comic, a little something now. Maureen. So I get up there and I go, give it up for the black MC. We had a black MC. There was a black MC. Did you see that? That was a black MC. And then he <laughs> afterwards he goes, oh God, did I upset you? I'm sorry, he was very lovely. And I go, no, I'm busting you, but in my busting, do you not see how absurd that is? I just, you're a new comic. So I want you to know that I would never introduce you as a black MC. Right. So just, just introduce me as a comic and I'll, uh, he was lovely. Like if I didn't think I could play with him that way to teach him a lesson about, you know, gender identity comics. <laughs> <laughs> identity comedy, that's what you know. And he was lovely and he was very receptive, but you get what I mean. Yeah, exactly. And I think you made the point very well. That was a great, you know, great way to do it. And, and, and that's something that I'm glad that we're seeing less and less of now. Now everyone is, is a, uh, just their next comedian coming onto the stage, you know, mm -hmm. such and such. Yeah, there's still some issues with all of it, but let's see what happens, you know, let's see what happens moving forward. We just keep doing the work. You can't. Blinders on. Do the work. Do the work. Exactly. Be supportive. You know, that's what we got. Yeah. You know what, too, I wanted to make a mention. Alan Zweibel, one of the original Saturday Night Live writers, one of the first, uh, 
Alan's wife, Belle, and I are, are friendly, and he's a wonderful man. He just wrote a great book called Laugh Lines about his life in, in, as a writer in comedy. He's now one of the writers, producers with Billy Crystal and Tiffany Haddish. It just came out, Home Again. I don't know the name of it. I got to right. look that up. Let's look up because I want to be respectful. What is the Billy Crystal movie with Tiffany Haddish? Am I saying her name right? Yeah, I'm saying her name. Yeah, Tiffany Haddish, yeah. Here today, here today. So Alan, I was chatting with him on my podcast, Hanging with Langan. Check it out at MaureenLangan.com. So, um, and get your Don't Make Me Hate You merchandise because you don't want to hate people. They make you hate them. MaureenLangan.com. Get a mask. Get a t-shirt. See them over my shoulder unless you're listening. I have a mannequin. Somebody sent me a mannequin in the mail last week. I have no idea who it is. It wasn't. There was no note with it. There's no return address. And the company doesn't exist. It's one of those email us at support. We'll never get back to you ever again. Come. Wow. At, yeah, I got a mannequin right here behind hey. me. Wow, very Somebody cool. Gave me a headless mannequin. And I have no No, it's cool or stalkery or freaky. I have no idea. It's a little, a little bit of all of those. That's it's all. But, but it looks so, great with the shirt. Yes, and don't make me hate you, my comedy special coming out in uh, this summer. But what I wanted to say when I was speaking with Alan Zweibel, he was talking about some of the original female writers on Saturday Night Live, and there were three that I have. One in particular he mentioned that I recall, Anne Beats, B-E-A-T-T-S, and she passed away recently, but Marilyn Suzanne Miller, Rosie Schuster. So he mentioned all three of these during my interview with him on Hanging with Langan podcast. And Marilyn Suzanne Miller and Anne B-E-A-T-T-S, Beats, I think, and uh, Rosie Schuster. And he talked about working with them and how brilliant they were. So I feel like I want to honor them and learn more about them. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you, Maureen. That was a really good point you brought up. It went to a deeper level than just those you see on screen. Exactly. And behind the scenes, you know, SNL to kick off SNL with that with a writing staff like that, you know, and it goes. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't even realize about how important the writers are for a show like SNL and, and what they go through in the grind. And it's, you know, and all that. And, and for those uh, women to pave that way also. Very interesting. So I want to learn more about them. And Alan spoke very highly of them. The thing, though, too, is when you have a diverse pool of writers, people think you're being, when say diversity, they're saying it for the sake of some politically correct reason. The point about having diversity is you have more cool things to draw from in life. It's so cool if you're sitting there talking with two white guys and you got a middle-aged white chick and you have an Indian guy and you have a overweight Jewish girl and you have, I don't know, all ages and different backgrounds and ways of seeing things, how much broader the humor is. It's like everybody brought the food they love to a table. Wouldn't you have more to eat? <laughs> that's a I great mean, way to put it. Yeah. Of course. So that's why when I see, like I love Bill Maher's monologues. I always say I love Bill Maher's writing and I just wish somebody else was delivering it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he comes across so smug, you know? He is but... very smarmy. That the feminine values are now the values of America. Sensitivity is more important than truth. Feelings are more important than facts. Commitment is more important than individuality. Children are more important than people. Safety is more important than fun. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I go, I love the writing. I love the monologue. I love the new rules. I just wish somebody else were delivering them. <laughs> but the writing is very good on there. And he is very good and very knowledgeable. And he'll take everybody to task. Likeable? Not so much. But you know what? Who cares? I bet if you knew him one on one, he'd be pretty cool. But there's, we're the female writers. And I think if you have more, I don't want a female for the sake of female. I hate when people go, well, if she's good. What are you talking about? Nobody goes, well, if he's good. You know, they, so I think you'd have a, a broader swath. Just like when Letterman made a mistake mocking one of Palin's daughters. There's one awkward moment for Sarah Palin at the Yankee game. During the seventh inning, her daughter was knocked up by Alex Rodriguez. All for mocking Palin, don't get me wrong. But he went for the, he missed the mark on, he went for the younger one by accident. He thought he was going for the night, he was teasing the 19 or 20 year old, but he actually made fun of like the 14, 15 year old. Right. But if you had a woman uh, on the staff, some of the things guys do, you'd be like, okay, a bit over the line. We want to go over the line. Yeah, not, that's a girl. That's, it's not to, oh, it is? Oh my God. Like, you would just have some balance. And then the, the humor from maybe, you know, another 
perspective from the woman or the Indian guy or the British lady or the Irish twins. Yeah, you know, I don't know. You bring different perspectives. Right. Yeah. I, I'm all for going over the line, but I'm just saying you might go, oh, no, no, that's a kid. You can't make a sexual joke about a 14. Oh, she's 14? I don't know. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, I mean. Anybody could have caught that, any gender, anything. But I'm just saying, you just, that's not a good analogy, but you get different points of view. The food on the table, you get it. Yes, indeed. I'm all for, for that as well, because like to your, to your point, it just brings, draws in that much more different material, different perspectives, life experiences, even different audiences you're, you're drawing in to, to what you're doing. That's so. a good point. You're bringing, Maureen, he made a really good point. You went way too long about you and the food and the analogies and the Indians and the twins. But um, <laughs> yes, you're right. You make a great point. Then you're reaching a wider audience. There you go. Ding, 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 ding. Okay. Hey, all right. I got the bell. Um, all right. So is it my turn or your turn? I forget now. Uh, I did all mine. I, okay. I all okay. Mine. I, I love your list. I'll just, I'll just go to my third pick here, which is um, Gracie Allen. Um, and, and the reason I, I picked uh, Gracie Allen is, is because when you look at, at um, you, you know, the, the kind of timeline of, of comedy and when we talk about um, who begets who and, and, you know, the evolution of it all, she, she kind of represents like the, that kind of um, dizzy, blonde, charming, Look at that customer over there at the magazine counter. In those slacks, you can't tell whether he's a girl or she's a boy. What did the old man say? He said, she's a girl and she's my daughter, and I apologized. I said, I didn't realize you were her father. He said, I'm not, I'm her mother. Gracie Allen is innocent, but like a little, you think she's baddie, but she's not missing a freaking trick. Right, right, yeah. That's a good way to put it. And, and, you know, and she was the backbone behind Burns and Allen. Like, I don't think Burns could have could have made that far on his own at that time. That's just my opinion. I think he needed her to come. He said that himself. Yeah. He said she was the brains of the operation. He, but this is interesting. She was born again, 1895. And, you know, on our radar and died in uh, 64. She was only five foot tall. Imagine that. Right, yeah. I realized what wonderful work scientists do. Now, take powder, for instance. Powder? Yes, thanks to the scientists. You can use it on your teeth so they'll shine, and you can use it on your nose so it won't. It, and, uh, yeah, and she did some stuff on her own. I think she was in this, uh, they had a sitcom also, Gracie and, and uh, Burns sitcom. Burns wasn't yeah. it what was it called what was her sitcom wasn't it burns and allen it, it might have been burns and allen i think she was great and i think she she helped kind of pave pave the way for that whole kind of uh you know if you look at like legally blonde and the, like that movie <laughs> yeah, like yeah, like yeah. that character could have easily been gracie allen you know i just don't think we could have done this exercise gives you endorphins endorphins make you happy happy people just don't shoot their husbands I don't like it here. Everybody's so serious. Serious? Yeah. How long have you been working here? Oh, this is my first week. I've had five patients and they've all died. And uh, you're my last chance. The doctor says that if you die, I'm fired. Yeah, but I think she was very important in, in that regard. Um, to, to A, be the funny one in a comedy duo and not the straight one, like she was originally meant to be. Yeah. Like yeah, that's what Burns said. Like in the original, Burns was supposed to be the one with all the punchlines, and she was going to set it up. But he realized that she had, you know, the talent, and uh, she was bringing him along. Yes, Gracie, how many fellas did you kiss before me? Good night, everybody. <laughs> and charm, and she had that. She had the, the likability factor too. Where you can't help but like her almost immediately as soon as she's on stage. And, um, you know, and, and that goes a long way. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, once you step on that stage, you, you don't have likability factor. It just makes it that much harder to win the crowd. If you Unless you're running for president of the United States of America a while ago. <laughs> I'm not being political. I'm just observing. Things. Yeah, <laughs> that's Observational true. comedy. <laughs> there you go. You're ridiculous.
<laughs> but yeah, that's uh, uh, what I got for Gracie. And then um, my uh, my number one was Joan Rivers, who is the goat, uh, and and uh, and not just. Uh, did you say she's the goat? The greatest of all time, yeah. Oh, is that what that means? Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I've been hearing that. I'm like, oh, oh my God. Maureen, that was so naive that you couldn't figure that out. LOL. <laughs> I think she's the greatest because she she's kind of reminds me uh, of her her place in comedy is, is similar to that of like George Carlin, whereas so many comedians will say that that you know they love George Carlin as their favorite comedian, and and then they don't realize that George was inspired by Lenny Bruce, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. It goes back. It's the same thing with Joan. Um, so many comedians, male or female, are heavily inspired by Joan Rivers oh, and course. and her tenacity and her style and her fast yes. wit and writing and uh, her work ethic. Everything about her um, was just she was such a juggernaut oh that's why I, and i have no sex appeal which kills me the only way i can ever hear heavy breathing from my husband's side of the bed is when he's having an asthma attack oh you don't know but they don't realize that all the people that came before her sometimes like like you know when we talk about like the mom's Mabelies and, and um the gene carrolls and all them and the phyllis dillers you know um so, so I, th I think you know while some of those unfortunately may, may be forgotten that it's, it, it's all embodied in Joan Rivers and and, uh, and you know legions of comedians have uh, continued to be inspired by her we all go through the same thing at 40 you begin to lose your eyesight I don't care who you are you can't read the birthday card at 50 the memory starts to go oh let's go see that movie oh you know the one oh you know what I'm mean. at, at 60 you start to fart you just fart 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 fart, fart. yes and at 70, you lose your sense of smell. So between 60 and 70, it is a terrible time. It's particularly now because she did not give a shit. She was like, oh, stop it. Stop with your political correctness. We need her so much right now. Oh God, stop it and leave. I don't care, you don't like it, go. I can't stand political correctness. It, I think, is one of the reasons that the society is just falling to pieces. We're all so terrified to say anything Everyone is pulling the race card, you know, every, whether I'm a woman and you touch me, oh, calm down. And that's why you fired me. We fired you because you're stupid. That's why we fired yeah, right. <laughs> But she was right. She was a thousand percent right. And I know her head writer. Everybody should know him. He's, he's on Facebook, Instagram, Larry Amos. Larry Amos is one of the funniest human beings on the planet. And the things he posts on a daily basis, he is so quick, so fast brilliant and they worked together in her final years and just amazing guys so it's nice to to see that his talent you know lives on and he's here also too something else i wanted to tell you one of the worst gigs i ever had where i bombed horribly in front of my agent who had never seen me perform uh, and this was like we're talking three years ago um so it wasn't i was a, not a newbie as many famous people as you can imagine in the audience and they're not they're eating they don't care and then i start making they're all hollywoods in hollywood i make fun of the kardashians they turn on me because i guess they're friends with i was raised by an irish immigrant mother and a blue collar father and i was told that if i worked hard got educated and did the right thing that life would reward me what a load of crap that is <laughs> life is rewarding paris hilton their kardashians and those freaks at the jersey shore the whole thing could not have been could not have been worse. They're not listening. And Melissa Rivers was in the wings, and she was busy. Oh shit! I'm going out there and telling them to fuck themselves. My mother was a comedian, Maureen. You don't have to put up with this. You deserve the respect. Who do these people think they are? I'm going to please stop. No, cool. <laughs> <laughs> wow. no, I wish she did. I should have. She should have. But how lovely was that? That is really cool to see that you know, her daughter gets it. And, oh, she got it and was so warm and so supportive and so connected and lovely. And she did get it. And she was so supportive that that got me through because I'm thinking, this is the worst nightmare. And then my agent goes, I knew this wasn't a good idea. I'm like, oh, God. Oh, <laughs> my God. He doesn't know. Like, it was the worst. He's talking the worst gig he's ever seen me before. Wow. Or after. This isn't a comedy agent. This is somebody I worked in broadcast.
Okay. So it wasn't comedy. So a comedy agent would know. They'd be like, oh God, oh boy, this wasn't the right new it. This was more like, I knew this wasn't right. Like, oh my God, please, Lord, somebody help me. <laughs> yeah, the worst is when afterwards, when you see the, the agent and he says, you know, oh, that was, that was fun. You know. <laughs> this is what I love when other comics do. This is what I love. Like you bomb. We all bomb at times. Everybody does. I hate doing fake praise, so I will try to find something that was positive if somebody bombed. Like, oh, I love that joke. That's really good. Or, um, you know, something that I can right. say positive. But I won't say it was a good set if it wasn't, because that's right. not cool. Um, but I won't rip on anybody. So um, but this is how you know if I have a bad set. This is how you know the person, the other comic, is telling you you had a bad set. So how do you feel? <laughs> How'd it feel? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what they mean. They mean it sucks so bad. I was so uncomfortable. How did you feel, Martin? How'd you feel? Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, those are the worst. Like, uh, um, that's kind of the reason I stopped doing it. I was bombing too too often than killing. And, well, we have, uh, how long did you do it for? You have to bomb until you don't bomb. I know. Yeah. It was. I, I had. I was doing a lot of things. I was juggling a lot of different things at the time. And um, so I, I knew that in order to be good at stand-up, you, you can't just half-ass it. You have to put 100%. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and I, I didn't have the 100% of time to put into it at, at that time period. So, you know, after uh, just a few more shows I was doing that, were, that weren't going well, I was just like, you know what? I got to rethink this. And then I started trying to write a, like a book about stand-up, you know, um, and, and then that got shelved for now, but we'll see. Maybe I'll revisit that. Well, you, know, you have to bomb until you don't bomb, but even then, like, what you have to do is keep working for, like I did for 20 years, and then get a really big opportunity and bomb there. That's, the, that's, <laughs> that's what you should do. You should, like, not bomb, like, at all for years. Maybe have some puff gigs, but you're able to crawl out of it and get them on your side. But then you should really bomb in front of a thousand people at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel in front of an agent who's never seen you. That's what some, you know, you do bomb on occasion. Okay. You know, we always do at times. No, we don't always. We still visit it, but we don't live there. You know, you get to the point where you don't live in bombing. You know, occasionally you visit. You're like, oh, I don't like living here. Gotta go. Yeah, you just gotta, if you're gonna bomb, bomb big, right? No, not at all. That was total sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't bomb, don't, no, no, don't bomb big. So with our list here now, mm. we, we normally narrow it down to a, to a, to a final five. So okay. uh, I'll, I'll, um, I'll just read off the names that we have here, and then you tell me which ones you think should be on this list of five and which ones we should move around. Right. Um, so we got Moms Mabley, mm -hmm. Pearl Williams, mm -hmm. Belle Berth, Bell Barth. Barth, my bad. I wrote it wrong. Spell it. Bell Barth. Mm -hmm. Phyllis Diller. Mm -hmm. Jean Carroll. Mm -hmm. uh, Todi uh, Fields. She was six. Go ahead. Uh, Carol Burnett. She... Mm -hmm. uh, Joan Rivers. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, where is it? Where is it? Gracie Allen. Okay, this is what I'm going to say. Okay, I'm torn between one or two. Here we go. First of all, Carol Burnett is, and Joan Rivers are goddesses to me. However, my focus is on women comics who paved the way that you do not know and you should know. So I'm going with names that I believe will open people's eyes and, and expose them to someone who they may not know. They may have heard of Moms Mabley, but have, research her more. Pearl Williams, Belle Barth, Jean Carroll, for sure. And you know what? People, I think, know Phyllis Diller better than they know Gracie Allen. So I'm thinking I might pop Gracie Allen in there. And Phyllis, sorry, we know you. We're putting you down with Carol and Joan. So Moms Maybelline, Pearl Williams, Belle Barth. Belle Barth. Mm -hmm. And then who, who was two again? Well, none of these are in order. Right. That, are... I, yeah, I don't oh. mean that. Moms, Pearl, Belle, and then I had Jean Carroll. Jean Carroll. Torn between, I love my Phyllis, but I think people know her. Do they know Gracie Allen as well? I got to stick with my Phyllis. That was my original five. I got to stick with my Phyllis. So Phyllis over over Gracie. I don't know. I'm torn. What do you think? Help me through this. Um. Well, this is a, a strong, strong list. What, what, so, 
to go with what the theme is is uh it's you know comics uh, women comics you should know who helped pave the way so with that i actually learned pearl williams and bell barth from you today so they're definitely on my list um I, I would you say, may not know i think may well they know Phil. all right sorry i'm interrupting you. but still people m might know them but not really know like mom's mabley somebody may have heard her name before yeah. and uh but don't really know who she was or what she stood for so i, I definitely think mom's is on that mom. list i i uh gene carroll for sure especially for sure. with um you know the marvelous mrs mazel uh show and and i really totally. do believe totally. that's inspired from her and then um I, I think you have to have Phyllis Diller because I because I don't know if today's generation really knows Phyllis Diller. They might have heard the name or or be you know, or the la you know the laugh, but I don't know if they know how much she did in comedy or even the backstory. How you the backstory? Told. The backstory is so inspiring. I'm sticking with my Phyllis. Her backstory: her enduring an alcoholic husband, five children, doing it on her own, money problems. He didn't, you know, wasn't the kind of supportive husband one would hope they'd have back then. The strength it took to do this, I gotta keep her. Yes, I agree. This is a great list. You're welcome. Yes, thank you, Maureen. This was great. I appreciate it. So I'll just go through it one more time. Okay, so we have Mom's Mabley, Bell Barth, and Pearl Williams combo, Jean Carroll. Gracie Allen and Phyllis Diller. That's our top five women you should know who paved the way for stand-up comedy. And an honorable mention for Betty Walker. Yes, Betty Walker as Nobody well. Nobody knows her. This is about people you do not know. And Toady Fields, do a couple honorable mentions and make it, please make it clear, women you may not know. That's the point. It's right. not about a top list of the best female comics. It's not the best comics in history. These are five with two honorable mentions, Betty Walker and Toadie Fields, that you should know that they existed and what they contributed. Excellent. Maureen, thank you so much. This is great. And where can people find you and get, get that great gear behind you? Well, first of all, I want to thank you for being smart. I want to thank you for the how you uh, interview and the road you take it down. It's respectful, it's smart, and I like you. You get to stay in my life. Oh, great. Um, I'm honored. Yeah, thank no, you. I appreciate it. And that I want you to know Yes, it does. It means a lot to you. Of course it does. I give him goosebumps. What I would do, um, I would like people to follow me at Maureen Langan, L-A-N-G-A-N.com. I have a podcast, Hanging with Langan, where I interview everybody from comics to activists, academics to alcoholics. Uh, it, it, it blends my journalism background with my comedy world. So it's, you know, it brings both fun, heart, smart. That's the goal. And also I do sell Don't Make Me Hate You t-shirts because I don't want to hate people. They make me hate them. Um, I'm a victim. <laughs> so you can go to Maureen Langan and get a Don't Make Me Hate You mask or t-shirts. There's even an all black puzzle. Like it's all black. There's no words on it except a little logo in the bottom. Uh, there's a whole bunch of merch there. And my special will be coming out in June, I believe. Don't make me hate you via dry bar. So I'm excited about that. Oh, that's awesome. Well, congratulations for all the good stuff you got going on. Ah, whatever. <laughs> I want to make it on a list one day. I want to be on a list and I don't want it to be a bad list. People you never heard of who you shouldn't have heard of. I want it to be people <laughs> you heard of and you like. Thank you, Don. Thank you so much, Maureen. You, you are the best. I appreciate right? it. Yes. Right? Well, there you have it, folks. That is the top five women comedians who paved the way with me and Maureen. Hope you liked it. And folks, as always, remember to share, like, and comment below. We want to know your top five. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week.